0: What is happening, everybody? Glad to have you. Welcome to the Pathway Church podcast. We are a Bible based church out of Peterborough, Canada, and together we're on a mission to reach people who are far from Christ and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. In today's episode, Pastor Nathan is bringing us part seven of the Book of James series entitled Draw Near. And he's diving into the fourth chapter of James. And as he does, we are reminded that the right response is always to run to God. In spite of our sinful desires and unfaithfulness to God, his grace is greater than we can even imagine. I hope you guys enjoy this message. I know I sure did. With that, let's turn over to Pastor Nate with part seven of our Book of James series. Draw near.
1: Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Nathan. I have the uh, privilege of serving as the lead pastor here at Pathway Church, and I'm recording this video because uh, last weekend someone in our household uh, tested positive for COVID, and if uh, if uh, all things are clear and everyone's healthy, uh, by Sunday I'll be there in person, but if you're watching this, obviously uh, there was either uh, more symptoms that emerged in our home or uh, didn't feel comfortable uh, coming into church uh, for the safety of others, and so i 'm pre- recording this message at home in an effort to continue our series and to share with you the Word of God um, today to the best of my ability and as much as I hate just being a, a talking head and not being able to be with you in person, I think it 's important also um, to continue our series and to make sure that um, what James has to say does not get uh, does not get left behind. as I was planning this uh, series. And we've been in a series, and we've been walking through the book of James and the New Testament for 10 weeks. This week is week 7. And as I outlined the entire series, and I looked ahead at the book of James, sort of divided up by chapter and verse, and kind of we're going to preach on these and these and these. Uh, this is the week, week 7, chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. Uh, this is the week that I knew would be, in some senses, the most difficult. And the reason for that is because many of the weeks uh, of the series where we're kind of going through verses, there it's really clear what the topic is. And, of course, uh, today's message and these 12 verses that you've just heard are anything uh, but clear. Uh, I think of it like this. Um, There have been times when, at the end of the day, I'll come home. And uh, my wife and I'll sit down after supper, and on occasion, she will do what I call a brain dump, where she's like, oh, this happened, and this person said that, and uh, I'm feeling this pressure, and this is is what I think about that. And she's just kind of sharing everything that's on her mind and heart in a very short period of time, and then she'll look at me and be like, you get it, right? You understand what I'm saying? And I'm like, yeah, you mean this? And she's like, no, no, I was talking about that. And, and so there's a lot of information coming, and it's all very strong, and, and there's a lot of emphasis on all of it. And so as I was looking at this seri- at this section of scriptures, I was thinking to myself, uh, what do I focus on? Because literally there are, are kind of five ideas in these 12 verses, and any one of them could be a sermon on its own. And and James gets very emphatic in the previous chapters. He's sharing ideas. Uh, In chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, it becomes very strong, very pointed. He's going to talk about the human heart. He's going to talk about how we've been unfaithful to God. He's going to talk about what we should do about it. He's going to talk about repentance. And he's going to talk about how we treat other people. And all of that's wrapped up in 12 verses. And so... I'm going to do my best to sort of dissect this, what we'll call a brain dump of information. We're going to walk through it verse by verse. And hopefully, as we do so, something uh, from what James is going to say will jump out and touch your heart, because that's that's what we want to do. I mean, we come to church not necessarily to hear something new. We don't come to church because we have to. Hopefully, we come to church because we want to get to know God and others more. And as we listen and as we learn, as we interact with the Scriptures and one another, something, God will do something in our heart to, to touch us and to bring something to the surface that we need to address or deal with. So, today we look at chapter 4 verse 1. Here's He begins with another question, and he says this, What causes quarrels and fights among you? What's the source of conflict? We all have conflict in our lives. James says, What's the source? Is it not this? He's going to make a suggestion. That your passions... Your lusts, your desires, your selfishness, your greed, envy, all these things are at war within you. He says, isn't it true that there's something inside of you that's the source of quarrels and fights? Now, he's writing to Jews who are dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. And uh, if you know anything about first century Jews, they were anything but amicable. Uh, there were some Jews. Uh, of course, Israel was under Roman occupation. And there were some Jews who thought the best strategy or approach was to go along with the Romans, to listen to the Romans, to live under Roman law, but to, to do so in such a way that they could keep their religion, they could keep some autonomy, and keep their nation together. There were other Jews that felt very strongly, and besides, both, both sets of Jews had scriptures to back this up. Uh, there were other uh, Jews that were like, we need to stand against the Romans. They were called Zealots. They said, we need, to, we need to amass an army. We need to take up strategic Roman positions. We need to do battle and take our country back. And so you had these two approaches. And not only were they at war with Rome, but they were at war with one another. And there were all these groups and factions among the Jews. And James is going to say to all of them, he's going to say, listen, without getting political, James is going to say, look, our, our biggest problem here is not the Romans, uh, our biggest problem is something that's in us. He says, you might say that you are uh, living at peace so that you can have peace. And, and others would say, oh, no, we're going we're gonna to do war and take our country back. And he says, you, you can claim you're doing it for God. You can claim that you're doing it for your country. You can claim that you're doing it for your children. But he says, I really want you to examine your heart because much of what you do and are doing in this quarrel and fighting is actually... The root problem is actually in the heart and I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this because over the past couple of weeks James has already zeroed in on the heart as the source of the problem you know our biggest problem is not our parents our biggest problem isn't the economy it's not our government officials our biggest problem isn't Russia although that's a huge problem in our world right now it's causing all kinds of problems Our, our biggest problem isn't our job our spouse our boss The biggest problem we face is actually what goes on within each and every one of us, okay? The most pressing issues in our world are issues of the heart, because honestly, if everyone's heart was pure and right, if there was peace in everyone's heart, we wouldn't have war, we wouldn't have murder, we wouldn't have all these terrible atrocities that are happening. And so if we really wanted to change the world, the best approach would be to address the issues of the heart. Because we know that what's in our heart ends up um, in our life. Verse 2, he says this, You desire and do not have, you want something, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Uh, This can be seen so clearly right now in our world. I mean, Vladimir Putin and whatever the powers that be in Russia, they want something. And everyone's speculating as to what it is. Are they defending their territories? Do they want, you know, oil, mineral rights? Do they just want more power? What what is it? We don't know, but we know that there's desire behind the invasion of the Ukraine. And so Putin and his people are pursuing that end. They are doing whatever, taking lives, to get exactly what they want. Now, the truth of the matter is, as, as horrific as that is, and our prayers continue to go out to the people of Ukraine, uh, we have some families in our church uh, that are connected and ha- and are, are experiencing that in a different way than the rest of us. And as horrific as that is, uh, James is going to point out the fact that those same desires of selfishness and greed and, and jealousy and ambition and envy are not just in Putin and the Russians, but actually in every person, and that certainly doesn't excuse what's going on over there. But it should be a warning to all of us that we can harm our, our family, our spouse, our friends by our own selfish desires. And our selfish desires and what's going on in our heart has uh, an incredible impact on ourselves and the people around us. And so our desires are at the root of the issue. He goes on to say this at the end of verse 2. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. And it's true that we often feel self-sufficient. It's like, well, I don't, I don't need God. I'm going to figure this out myself. I'm going to make this work. That's what we do. And he goes on to say, you ask and do not receive. So you ask God for stuff, but you don't get it because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We talked about this last week. God really cares about the motives of our heart. He really does. The motives of our heart really, really, really matter. And, uh, you know, if my kids uh, came up to me and said, Dad, can I have 20 bucks? My first question would be, what do you want it for? And if they said we want it to buy candy or explosives or a knife or, or some, something that would uh, indicate that their heart motives are wrong, the answer would obviously be no. But if they came and said we want $20 to, uh, to raise money for cancer or doing a walkathon, it's like, of course, my wallet is open. And because their heart motives are pure and good, uh, because it's something that is good for them, then I'm going to obviously release. And, and God is the same way. When we want the things that are right and true, his wallet is open, his heart is open to us, and he wants to give us the things that we desire and need, provided that they're good for us, because that's what every father wants. Verse 4. James is going to shift directions when he says this. This is a really strong statement. He says, You adulterous people. In the original language, it literally says, You adulterers and adulteresses. So both male and female. He's like... You're all cheating on God. Whenever I read this verse, I think of the old, uh, the old song. Uh, who was it uh, that sang it? Uh, Hank Williams. I think, your cheating heart will tell on you. And, and it, this song is like, hey, uh, your heart has been unfaithful. When we talk about adultery, it's not a word we, we use in our culture a lot. The word adultery means that you've been unfaithful. So if you're married to someone and you're pursuing another person, you're in a relationship with someone else, and you shouldn't be, that's adultery. It's being unfaithful. If you're dating someone and you claim to love that person and and things are moving in in a direction that's really good, but yet you're dating other people on the side. This is is not uh, what either person wants. This is what we call adultery. It's cheating. And James says, you the Jews who would claim to be followers of Jesus and lovers of God. God, we love you. Jesus, we follow you. We commit our lives to you. He says, look, you claim to love God, but your hearts are far from him. Your hearts are moving in another direction. You're pursuing other things and not just other things, but you're pursuing things that God hates. And that's a problem. That's a problem. You see, God longs to be in relationship with you. And some people will be like, of course, God wants to be in a relationship. But other people are like, no, God wouldn't want anything to do with me. I know the kinds of thoughts I have. I know my past. God doesn't want me. And so we've got some people who are proud and, and some people who have no self-worth. And God, God longs to be in relationship with every single person. And so no, no matter who you are and no matter what your background or your view of God, you need to know that God longs to be in relationship with you. When I was a young man, I met a girl, and I longed to be in a relationship with her. I was very interested in her. Her name was Jessica. And and so what did I do when I wanted to be in a relationship with her? I started to show up wherever she was. If she was going to an event, I heard about it. I was making sure I was at the event. Interestingly, though, I noticed that whenever I showed up, she would disappear. Uh, it was not reciprocal, you could say. Uh, also, uh, I eventually uh, reached out and began to talk to her, and I asked her to go out with me for a coffee. And uh, once again, I was rejected. It was, it was not reciprocal, to say the least. See, relationships are, are personal. And if you're going to be in a relationship with someone, you, you, there must be give and take, there must be interest from both sides. And I can assure you, and I could go through the scriptures and pull out dozens of verses to assure you that God is interested in you. The real question is, are you interested in him? And many people, including myself at times, have claimed to love God while pursuing everything but. And when you're in a personal relationship, any unfaithfulness, any I love you, but I have no time for you, is is very hurtful and offensive and hard. There's there's rejection involved. And, And that's why he goes on in the next verse to say this, Do you not know? That friendship with the world is enmity with God. When you are a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. Now, what James is not talking about, some churches in the past have you know, defined friendship with the world as being around unchurched or ungodly people. It's like, well, you should never be in that place. You shouldn't talk to those people. And nothing could be further from the truth. That is not what James is talking about. Jesus himself hung out with tax collectors, sinners. He spent time with prostitutes and liars. And Jesus went and spent time with them, but he never loved what they did. He never became like them, but he loved them. And so we're not talking about staying away from sinful people. What we're talking about, friendship with the world, is loving what they love and loving the things that God ultimately hates. And what James says is that when, when we love the things that God hates, selfishness, pride, arrogance, bitterness, wrath, envy, those are the things of the world, the, the, the motives and the attitudes of the world. And when we love those, we make ourselves an enemy of God who is anything but those things. And, and so that's what he's talking about. And he's like, so if you claim to love God, but you're pursuing the things that God hates, you make yourself an enemy of God who loves you and longs to be in relationship. I hope this is making sense. Therefore, he continues, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You, you and I, have we have to choose. Are we going to love God or are we going to love the world? Are we going to pursue him or are we going to pursue the things that he hates? Pursue the things that he, he died to save us from. And that's the decision that you and I have to make. He he goes on in verse 5 to say, do you not suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says? Now, James actually quotes a passage that that no one, no scholar can find. It seems to be a paraphrase of some sort. And it can be interpreted one of two ways. The first way um, is is the way that our translation uh, says it right here. Let's look at it. He yearns jealously, God does, over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. This verse can be interpreted one of two ways. Depending on whether the spirit that James is talking about is the human spirit, that's sinful, or God's spirit that he places inside of us, which is holy. And depending on which spirit you determine, then the meaning changes. So either God's placed his spirit in us and we're living contrary to it, and God is jealous because he loves us, and that's the way this is being interpreted. The other way is to say that the human spirit is jealous and envious and leads us down the wrong path. Both of those things are scriptural. And so we're going with option number one, that God longs for the spirit that he has put in us. He longs to have us back, you could say. That he cares so much that it's personal for him. You know, when you care for somebody, you you sacrifice for them. And God has sacrificed his son. He has left his throne and come to earth to save us and to show us his love and to demonstrate his love for us when we didn't even love him. I mean, nothing could be more loving. Nothing could demonstrate the sincerity with which God wants to be in a relationship with us. He goes in in verse 6, and this is where things sort of turn around. He says, but he gives more grace. And grace is unmerited favor. The goodness of God that we don't deserve. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So the bad news is, the human heart is full of jealousy and selfish ambition. We talked about that last week. The human heart is stained. It's evil. It's a fire, a flame of fire. But, but, even though our hearts are evil, and even though we've been unfaithful, the good news, the good news is that God gives grace to the humble, that if we will simply submit ourselves to him, if we will simply surrender, if we will simply repent, if we will come to God humbly, knowing that we have done nothing to deserve his grace and favor, that He will come to us, and he will receive us and give us forgiveness and grace. This is a beautiful, beautiful promise. Verse 7, James goes on to say, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Each and every day we have to decide whether we're going to submit to God or submit to the enemy, the world, our own desires. You can put those in the same category. And he says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee to you. You have to choose a direction. You have to choose a master. I know oftentimes our kids um, have asked us the question, and when I was a kid, I asked my parents the question, I'd want to go to a certain place or hang out with certain people or do something, and my parents would be like, no, this is terrible, and I'd say, what's the big deal? And they would say, well, the big deal is that choice you're making actually leads in a direction. You're, You're choosing something. You're choosing to love and pursue something that God doesn't want. You to love and pursue because it's bad for you. And making that choice actually takes you one step, you know, away from God, and then another step away from God. It's a direction. And of course, what God wants is for us to take a step towards him. And that's exactly what he's going to say in the very next verse. Verse 8. I love this. Draw near to God. So if if you feel distance from God today, if you're like, I just don't feel God's presence. I don't know if he loves me. I don't know if my relationship's good. James says, take a step in his direction. And when you do. He'll take a step towards you. Every time. It's a promise. Draw near to Him, and He will draw near to you. Draw near to Him, and He will draw near to you. Okay? God wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants to forgive you. He wants you to be filled with His joy and peace, but we've got to take a step in His direction. And the promise is that when we do, He will move in our direction. Now, as our relationship with God becomes closer because we're taking steps towards Him, and receiving his grace what happens next James says this cleanse your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double minded this is a great definition for repentance he's talking about cleansing your hands you know cleaning up our lifestyle but he's also talking about purifying our hearts so it's like cleaning up the outside and the inside of the cup becoming right but what i find so fascinating about this is that he doesn't say clean up your life and clean up your heart and then draw near to God. See, that's what we do by nature. You know, and when I think about, oh man, I feel far from God, my instinct is to say, "Uh, I'm going to clean my life up, I'm going to get this area of my life in order, and then I'll feel confident to approach God. That's wrong. That's absolutely wrong. The scriptures tell us that we should first turn back to God and after we've turned back to God allow him to help us clean up see there's so much pride and arrogance in the thought that I can clean up my own life before I come to God and then not only is that arrogant to be like yeah I can do this on my own which we can't but it's also arrogant in the sense of like I don't need God and that God is is lacks grace to receive me the way I am and to help me with this problem it's like I'll deal with it and then we'll be good that's, that's totally wrong. And so what James says is draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. And then the cleaning process begins. Then the repentance begins. And so we come to God with our addictions. We come to God with our sins. We come to God with our pride. We come to him with our selfishness, jealousy, unforgiveness, bitterness. And God helps us. He helps us to address those issues in our life, the outside, and in our hearts, the inside. Verse 9, he talks about repentance and says this, Be wretched, mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. This is a picture of true repentance. So, if I'm in a relationship with somebody and they have really wronged me, like they did something that hurt me, hurt our relationship, it was terrible, and they come asking forgiveness... And if I'm gracious and I say, I forgive you, let's mend this relationship, and they think it's funny what they did, that's a problem because it it doesn't demonstrate true repentance, does it? That's why James is saying we should mourn and we should go low and, and we should, how does he word it here? He says, let our laughter be turned to mourning and our joy to gloom. That we should actually feel the hurt that we've caused God and others, that we should actually be repentant to the point where we're sick to our stomach about what we did. And the reason why that's so important is because true repentance isn't just, I'm sorry I did it, but true repentance is actually, I'm sorry I did it. I feel the, the hurt that I've caused you, and, and I don't want to ever do that again because I love you and care for you, and, and it hurts me that I hurt you. That's true repentance, and that's exactly what James is inviting his listeners, you and I, into. Uh, Last thing we'll talk about, and I know this message may be a little shorter than usual, it's just strange talking to a camera, you know. Verse 11 says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. James is going to finish off this whole thing, okay? Our hearts are evil, we're unfaithful to God, but God is gracious if we will come to Him, and He'll forgive us and we exhibit true repentance, and finally He's going to talk about how we treat one another after the fact. So we've come to God, and God's forgiven us, We truly repented of our sin, our evil, our unfaithful hearts. And God has been so gracious to us. What are we going to do with that? That's the question he's going to finish with in the last few verses. He says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. He comes back around to the tongue, what we say to, to others and how we treat other people. He says, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. In other words um, he says when we mistreat others and when we choose not to forgive others and we choose to not extend grace to others and we speak evil and judge them we're actually judging the law we'll talk more about that in a minute he says if you judge the law you are not the doer of the law but you make yourself a, a judge can you imagine uh, if you were in a court of law the judge goes out for a recess you would never dream of walking up onto the stage and sitting down in the judge's seat, hitting that gavel, calling the court to order, and then rendering a verdict. Guilty. You can't handle the truth. I've always wanted to say that behind a, you know, in a court of law. That's awesome. So you would never dream of. It. In fact, it would be a crime. It would be a crime to impersonate a judge or an officer of the law, to render a verdict on someone else when it is not your place. And James is going to remind us that it is God's place to judge others. And so there's this fine line that we have to walk as Christians uh, when we judge other people. There are things that are clearly wrong, and we can call out those things that are clearly wrong. But we cross a line when we begin to judge other people's motives when we begin to place ourselves in the seat of God, when we choose not to forgive others, when we choose not to extend grace to others, when we've received so much. He goes on in verse 12 to say this, there is one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now the Bible is very clear when it comes to judgment. We're to judge our own hearts and our own motives strictly. But we're to be very slow to judge the hearts and motives of others because we cannot judge impartially. We don't see, you know, so many times when I've been tempted to judge someone else for their actions and then I talk to them and I hear their story, uh, I'm reminded of, wow, there's a whole story throughout the pandemic I've been reminding people and they're like, I just can't believe that person's so strong on this view. And I'll say, well, but do you know their story? Because sometimes the story and the history behind your beliefs actually informs what you believe and do. And there are some people who have been very, very, very strict for the past two years. And it's because they have loved ones who are, who are uh, immune compromised or they have, they're caring for parents. And so it, they might seem unreasonable in how cautious they're being, right? And you might be, well, you're just scared and you're... But, but they're doing it because there's a story. There's, there's, there's something behind it. And so we are so quick to judge people based on externals. what what they do what they don't do uh, what they wear the way they speak but when you really get to know someone and you know their personal story it it changes everything doesn't it so we need to be really slow to judge there's there's one uh, story in Matthew 18 which would we'd all do well to read about once a month in Matthew 18 Jesus tells the parable of the unforgiving servant and in this particular parable there's a man who owes a huge debt and he cannot repay his debt and he's called before the judge And he stands before the judge, and the judge is like away with him, away with his family, you know, and the person begs for mercy. Would you forgive the debt? Would you just give me more time? And the judge is so gracious, he forgives the entire debt, and he sets him free. And what does he do with the forgiveness he's received? He goes out, and someone who owes him a small amount, he calls that person, and he says, you need to pay me right now, and the person says, I can't pay. And he says, away with you. And the person begs for mercy in the same way that the other person had begged. And he does not show mercy. And when the judge, right, which represents God, finds out that this person who has been forgiven so much would not even forgive the smallest thing to his brother or his sister, he calls him into court and judges him and sends him into the equivalent of hellfire. We need to remember that God has forgiven us, that he's extended grace to us when we didn't forgive it, when we didn't deserve it. And so we must be slow to judge, slow to be unforgiving, and we need to extend that grace and mercy to those around us. What a great reminder. And so today, uh, let me try to summarize this this brain dump uh, that uh, James just hits us with in verses 1 through 12. Our hearts... are are sinful. We are full of our selfish ambitions, pride, arrogance, jealousy, and our hearts have been unfaithful to God. Yet he is so gracious to us that the moment you and I turn our hearts towards him, the moment that you and I take one step in his direction, he reciprocates and moves towards us. The parable of the prodigal son is such an incredible picture a proud and arrogant son who says, give me my inheritance and I'm going to go do what I want to do with it. And he leaves the home. He rejects his father, breaks his father's heart and does his own thing until everything goes wrong. And then he has this thought. He's in the pig pen. He's in the lowest place he could be. And it's there. Some people, they'll never repent. They'll never turn to God until they hit the lowest point they possibly can. But here's the thing. Even if that's you, if you're in the lowest point you could ever be, All you have to do is turn back to him. And that son says, if I just go back to my father's house, I could be a servant there. And the moment he begins moving in his father's direction, his father sees him and begins to move in his direction and extends grace and mercy. That's what God is all about. And the son demonstrates true repentance. I'm so sorry, Dad. I am so grieved by the things I've said and done. I'm so grieved by how unfaithful I've been to you. And the father says, you're my son. You'll always be my son. He puts his coat on him and he brings him into the house and celebrates and throws a party. Why? Because God cares so much about you and me. He wants us back into his family. And if God has done that for you and me, and if he's willing to do it for you, then that changes the way we treat others. It changes the way we judge and speak to others. And we begin to live as Christ intended, extending the grace to others that God has extended to us. I hope that makes sense today. Let me close in prayer. Um, So wish I could have been there with you in person. I love you and uh, looking forward uh, to seeing you all soon. Father, thank you uh, for this message, for the words of James. To be reminded, God, that our hearts, apart from your work, are, are full of sin and envy and jealousy and bitterness. It's the cause of the problems in our world. And so, Lord, today we, we turn to you. We ask you to heal our unfaithful hearts. We ask you to, to reveal your love for us in a way that we can understand and accept. And, Lord, we're so encouraged by the fact that when we turn to you, when we submit to you, when we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. Pray that we would have hearts of repentance, that we would confess our sins to you and to one another, and that we would truly grieve for the wrong we've done, And then that we would live in that freedom to extend grace and forgiveness to those who sin against us. Lord, thank you for your gospel. Thank you for this message. And thank you for the people of our church gathered here in the room and those who are gathering online. We ask that you would help us to take steps in your direction today from wherever we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Well, that is it from us at Pathway Church. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's podcast. Please be sure to check out all of our quick links. Our website is pathwaylife.com, instagram.com forward slash pathway life church, facebook.com forward slash Pathway Life. If you need prayer, please know that our staff meet every Tuesday and pray for the people of our church. So if you have any prayer requests, hit us up at pathwaylife.com forward slash care. Thanks again. Have a great week